confident in what the Lord has said. I'm going to preach for a few minutes on this subject, the Jesus model. The Jesus model. They're going to put another picture up on the screen this morning. It's a picture of a man named Brian Wells. You'll see it up on August the 28th in 2003. Brian Wells, the man that you see on the picture of the screen, robbed a bank in Erie, Pennsylvania against his own will. He was delivering a pizza to a residence when he was kidnapped and forced to rob the PNC Bank near his hometown of Erie. Now that sounds very, very strange. To rob a bank against your own will. So how was he forced to rob this bank? The perpetrators tied an explosive collar to the neck of Brian Wells and forced him to go into a bank and rob it. And what the FBI would call one of the most complicated and bizarre crimes in history, this maniacal, evil, wicked act took the life of the 46-year-old pizza delivery man when the collar detonated before bomb diffusers could arrive on the scene. This story is bizarre. This story, truthfully, is demented. It's maniacal, and as I mentioned a moment ago, it's evil. It's just evil to do this to a human being, to do this to a person, to do this to somebody's child, maybe somebody's dad. It's absolutely evil and demented. And I hesitated to even share it because of the wicked nature of the story. But I shared it for the very sole reason that it parallels a strategy and a tactic that the enemy is using right now. Because people are being held hostage by sin and wickedness and the agenda of the Antichrist and deception, lies, evil. Things that are, they were never meant to carry are being attached onto them. False narratives, half-truths, deceptions, hurts, weights, bondage. These things have created anxiousness and moral corrosion and chaos and pain. Wickedness has attached itself to people. And listen, it is ready to explode. Now, I want you to hold on for a second because I did not say in that sentence that people are ready to explode. I said it is ready to explode because we don't fight against flesh and blood. And that person is not your enemy. And they may say things that are harmful and they may say things contradictory and things may come out of their mouth that are wrong, but they are not your enemy. That person is not the enemy's. The enemy has gotten a hold of that person and has attached things onto their life, into them. It has surrounded them in some way, some shape, form, or fashion. And people are carrying around ideologies and baggage and outrage that they were never intended to carry. And they're carrying it around. Low self-esteem. 
hopelessness, anger, stress. People all around us. You probably have people on your job. You probably have people in your family. You have probably people that live on your street that are surrounded and engulfed with fear or selfishness or hurts or things that have attached itself to them. Not knowing that sin lieth at the door. Sin that's destructive and explosive. And I've come to the pulpit on this Sunday morning, December the 4th, to tell you that people need hope. People need help right now. People need hope, they need help, and people need freedom. Now more than ever before, people need freedom. There might even be people in this room right now, you're ready for some strongholds and some things to come down. You're ready for those things that have been attached onto you to fall off of you. You're ready to be free this morning. And they need somebody, something to come and defuse the bomb that's attached to them. They need it. You know what people need more than anything right now? Truth. I'll prove it to you in Scripture. John chapter 8, verse number 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, your disciples indeed. And verse 32. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You want to know the thing that's going to defuse the bomb inside of someone's life? You want to know the thing that's going to disarm the explosive nature of what's attached itself onto this society in 2022 going to 2023? It's nothing more, ladies and gentlemen, than the truth of the Word of God. There's nothing that can free you like the truth can free you. There's nothing that can free them like the truth can free them. There's nothing like the truth. And the truth can set you free. It's the truth today that we need. His word leads to truth and truth leads to freedom. And people are starving for truth. They're starving for it. People need truth to help set them free. They need it. So what's our part in that? If people need truth and people need freedom, then what is it that's our part in this? How are we as the church involved in diffusing the bombs of hurt and deception and outrage that's attached to people? The truth is, we follow Jesus. And we look to Him to help us solve how we ought to live and function in 2022. Let me, let me say this, because I've heard it said, and it's not my original quote. Sometimes, have you ever heard of a preacher that said something, and you know he didn't say that first? I've never done that. So I give credit this morning, because I heard it from Brother Raymond Woodward. You can either have outrage, or you can have outreach, but you can't have both. You can either have outrage or you can have outreach, but you can't have both of them together. And I choose today 
to follow the model and the pattern of Jesus and have outreach for people. Because I am not fighting against flesh and blood. And you are not fighting against flesh and blood. That person that is lost and bound, they are not our enemy. But they are a soul that needs to be set free. They are a life that needs to encounter truth. They are somebody who needs the hope that I can give them. So I look to Jesus as a model on what we ought to do to defuse the bombs that are attached to people's life. Here's what I find in Scripture that Jesus, how he spoke to individuals and how he spoke to crowds. When Jesus addressed large crowds, he spoke to them plainly, directly, and he did not mince words when he spoke to a crowd. He told them what they needed to hear, whether they wanted to hear it or not. But when Jesus ministered to an individual, he spoke to them specifically and relationally. When he spoke to a crowd like I'm doing right now, he would speak things plain and direct. But every time he got one-on-one with somebody that he was reaching for, he spoke to them specifically about where they were and lovingly about what they needed. He was clear about it. In John 3, before we get to John 4, He addressed the religious leader and told him exactly what Nicodemus needed. But then you turn the page and you go to John 4 and he's talking to an immoral woman and he addresses her exactly how she needs to be. Because you listen to me, Jesus reaches for all people. There is not a person in this room Jesus doesn't love and reach for. There's not a person on your street Jesus doesn't love and reach for. There's not a person on social media Jesus doesn't love and reach for. He does. He reaches. He reaches and he loves and he shows. Now, I believe, is what we're going to read here this morning in the Word of God, I believe that what what we'll go through, what we'll see in Scripture, is how Jesus spoke to a woman that strongly parallels the people and the type of people that we are surrounded by right now. See, we live in an easily offended society. We live in a heavily opinionated society. Amen. We've never lived in a society like this before where people have such, such weakly formed, strongly held opinions. And yet, here we are. And I think, I believe, John chapter number four shows us a pattern, a model of how Jesus dialogued with the person that, that had issues and maybe was a little toxic or maybe was a little hurt Whatever it may have been through her life, Jesus had this dialogue with her that we can function and operate by in 2022 to help us reach the lost. How many of you know that's the mission of the church? Like, this was not in my notes, so here's a free two cents. The mission of the church is not to come sing three songs and hear a nice sermon that feels good and then go home. I enjoy coming to church, but I'm also commissioned to be the church when I walk outside of the walls and when I interact with my neighbor and when I interact with my coworkers and I have to live with a mission mentality everywhere that I go. 
Because I've been set free and I believe somebody else can be set free. So Jesus has this exchange, this dialogue with a person who is bound and broken and who has things attached to them. And Jesus comes and carefully walks through all of those walls and pulls them all down. How many of you can imagine a conversation that with a coworker that sees every wall they have come down? You ever had something that you're talking to somebody about Jesus and the light bulb clicks in their life? And something, something comes to them and they finally see, you know what, I don't have to be this way anymore. You ever had that? Well, there's a model, an example in Scripture. John chapter 4. Would you read it with me? John 4, verse number 3. And he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And verse 4. And he must needs go through Samaria. Brother Weatherly, thank you for helping me this morning in the office. This is a small verse with a whole lot of meaning. Because Jews didn't have much to do with Samaritans. And typically, he would have gone out of his way. A Jew would have gone out of his way to avoid Samaria. Which, according to Brother Weatherly helping me this morning, he would have had to cross to go out of his way. He would have had to cross the Jordan two times. But yet, he decides, I've got to go through Samaria for the sole purpose, ladies and gentlemen, of one person. Let me tell you, every single soul matters. God doesn't see rich and poor. God doesn't see the healthy and the right and the unhealthy and the, and the wrong. What God sees is a soul. So Jesus moves with people in mind. Verse 5, and he comes to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, being wearied from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour of the day, which is the hottest hour of the day. So there comes a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus looks at her and he says, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away to buy meat. But then the woman of Samaria says unto him, How that you being a Jew would ask drink of me, which is a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So how do you ask me that question? You know, the Jews and the Samaritans, they weren't buddy-buddy. They didn't get along. And it wasn't that somebody undercooked the turkey last week. It wasn't that somebody did something offensive two or three days before. Their history goes far back. The disdain and dislike goes hundreds of years back before this moment. Even from the inception of these people, there was hatred and strife and things. And Israel later was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom called Israel, and established its capital in Shechem, a revered Jewish site, and later a hilltop city of Samaria. And in 722 B.C., Assyria conquered Israel and took the people captive. Invaders brought in 
Gentile colonists from Babylon and other areas to resettle in the land. And the foreigners brought pagan idols with them, which, remain, which remaining Jews began to worship alongside with the God of Israel. So between the intermarriage and the inner worship, you had a problem. And meanwhile, the southern kingdom of Judah fell to Babylon, and its people too were carried off. But 70 years later, a remnant comes back to return and rebuild Jerusalem. And the people that inhabited the former northern kingdom, the Samaritans, they vigorously opposed all the plans that the Jews would make. And just in a conflict of history and walls of bitterness and temples being erected, you had these people that fought for hundreds of years and they did not like each other. That would be, as Brother Weatherly said in my office, to go cross the Jordan twice to avoid somebody. That means you hate them. That's what that means. You don't, it's not that you don't like them or you can tolerate them. There's a difference. You're going that far out of your way. There's some prejudices that exist inside. There's some tension racially that exists inside. There's some things there that, that would draw a firm line in the sand. And the Bible says that this woman, a Samaritan, looks at Jesus and she calls him a Jew. That's how she starts the conversation, knowing the divide. The woman was strictly focused on the social aspect between the two. You see, here's the truth about people. People perceive and act based on the natural. See, this is, so, this is so helpful for where we are right now. People, in general, only perceive and act based on the natural, based on what they see, based on what they hear. They only act on the natural. Even when Samuel was choosing to anoint David as the new king, and he lines the brothers up, and, and he says, surely Eliab is it. Well, the Bible says the Lord talks to him and said, don't look on the outward appearance, for man looks on the outward, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, listen, we focus a whole lot on the Lord looks at the heart. But the first part of that statement is just as true. People look on the outward. People perceive and act based on the natural. They just do. This woman is simply perceiving and acting on the natural understanding that she has. So whether it's by hurt or failures, offenses or wrongs, she is burdened right now, carrying around baggage, ideas, prejudices, retelling history. Here she is, no doubt, as you'll see in this story, she's had hurt and unmet expectations and shame. Her worldview is shaped by the choices she's made and the choices others have forced on her. But all she's doing is focusing on the natural. And that is what people do. Don't fault people for only seeing in the natural. Because that's all they do. But read the next verse. Then Jesus answered and said to her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, then thou would have asked it of him, and he would give thee living water. See, listen, people, they perceive and act in the natural. 
But Jesus, he perceives and acts for the soul. Because listen, we've got to get past looking at what somebody posts or what somebody does or being so enraptured by how they're acting, behaving. We've got to be as the people of God to follow Jesus' model. We've got to see through that. Because we don't act in the natural. But as we follow Jesus, we look at somebody and say, that is a soul. And they need the spirit of the living God to come inside of them. And they not, may not be acting right. And they may not be talking right. And they may have issues here and there. But I'm looking beyond that surface level stuff. Because I'm somebody filled with the Holy Ghost. And I'm looking for the soul. Because that's what Jesus did. I'm looking for the soul. Now, I know this is jumping a little bit, but can you put the, the three-part side up, the carnal, the, 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 the natural, and the spiritual? Can you put that up? This is what we find in the book of 1 Corinthians. There, are, there really is, there really is genuinely only three types of people in all the world. This is it. Paul lays it out really clear in 1 Corinthians 2. There's really only three types of people out there. Genuinely, you break it down, you want to talk about it, these, this is it. These are really the three types of people in the world. The natural man who is patterned after Adam and rejects the things of the Spirit. They have not had Jesus Christ enter into their life. That's the natural man. They've not had that happen to them yet. The spiritual man who knows the things of God and submits to the things of God. Then there's the carnal man who knows the things of God but yet it's still characterized by the flesh. There's really three types of people. Listen, I choose, because I have been filled with the Spirit, I choose not to be a carnal man, but I choose to be a spiritual man and deal with spiritual issues and see to the spiritual things that need to happen. I am not, I, I, I know there's a natural man that's there, but I choose to be a spiritual man and look past that to say, there's something inside of you that needs the Lord. Here's what happens in the story. As Jesus is telling her the first few words, can you put John 4 and 10 back up on the screen? So when she, said, when, when she addresses him and Jesus comes and addresses the soul, look at what he says. And Jesus answered and said, this is so good. You ever read something in your Bible and then you had to go find a pen and underline it? You ever read something and you're like, man, if I preached, I would preach that. Well, you're looking at a guy who does preach and I thought, I'm preaching that. Because he says, watch, and he answered to her, if thou knewest. He essentially looks at this woman looks beyond her natural understanding, looks right into her soul and says this as he's reaching and drawing for her. He essentially says this, if you only knew. If you only knew the thing I could give you. Here's what happened. Here's what Jesus does. Jesus intended to create curiosity inside of her so that she would pursue him. 
so that she would, he intends to reach inside of her and say, hey, listen, if you only knew the thing I could give you, if you only knew the type of life you could have, if you only knew what was standing in front of you right now, if you only knew what you could have and you only knew who was in front of you right now, if you only knew that, and Jesus looks right at her, right in her eyes, I can imagine, and says, there's more for you, sister. If you only knew the type of life, if you only knew you didn't have to live in that bondage anymore, if you only knew you didn't have to go to bed crying each and every night, if you only knew you didn't have to be shackled by the pain of your own decisions and the grave that you dug yourself, if you only knew the thing that stood in front of you right now, And this is what I love about how Jesus handled her. He didn't condemn her or cast her down. He looked straight into the soul and said, if you only knew what you could have. I know what you got right now, but I'm looking inside of you and saying, if you only knew what you could have inside of you. Come on, that's why we walk into our street, our job, into any family gathering that we have. And that's why when we look at people, we do, have an, we do have a mission. And there is a little bit of an agenda on us because we look at people that are broken and hurting and lost and have no idea. And we look right into them and say, if you only knew what you could have. And I'm not talking to you from an elevated place. I'm talking to you from a reaching place. I want to show you what the living water is. If you only knew what you could have. And Jesus invited her to more. Now, as the natural man works, you see this in 11. The woman says to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. So when do you get, how are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself? Are you greater than his children and his cattle? And, and the woman is still, still stuck in the natural. Listen, here's what I love about Jesus. He's not condescending. He's not hateful or belittling to her. He doesn't come at her and say, well, you're just so foolish and ignorant. He knows, as if you've read the story, he probably knows other things that men have said to her. Plus, she's already on the alarm because she's a woman and a Samaritan talking to a Jew. So he walks into the, into the situation knowing how to diffuse it anyways. So he's patient with her. And he doesn't even address the question. He addresses her need. She needs living water. And he's so desperate to give it to her. He's so hungry to give it to her. So he's working to tear down walls and things. He's patient with the natural man that's there. Can I just pause right here and tell you, how many of you are thankful that God is patient with you? I mean, look, it took me a long time to learn a few things. And there's been moments where God had to test me multiple times on the same thing because I didn't pass the first time. And then he sent multiple preachers to stand up in a pulpit and tell me the same thing over and over and over again because the soil of my life was too hard to receive the word of God and I didn't take it in like I should have. 
But I am so thankful that he is patient with me. And here he is modeling patience for you so that you can model patience to someone else. They may not get it the first time you share it with them. They may not understand it the first time you open your mouth. But that shouldn't stop us. We still have a mission to share hope with somebody. And here it is saying, Jesus answered, verse 13, Whosoever drinketh of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinketh of the water that I will give will never thirst again. But the water I give will be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Look, you've, look woman, you have tried other things and you've drank from a lot of wells, but there's no well like this one. Let me talk to somebody for a moment. I don't know how many times or how many things you've tried or whatever you've looked at. There is no thing, there is no life like this life. There is no thing like this thing. There's nothing like His presence and His Spirit and walking with Him every single day. It may not be easy and it may have trials, but there's no well in this world like the well of the Spirit. There's no well in this world like the well of truth. There's no well like the well He presents to us. There's no well like it. The woman saith unto him, Sir, see at first, at first, she called him a Jew. But then now, he got to talking. And now she addresses him as sir. You know why? Because walls are starting to come down. Because he's starting to take apart the bombs and things that have been attached to her over the course of her life. And the decisions she made or the things she's been taught, those things are starting to diffuse and come off of her. And now he calls her sir. Her mind is changing. Verse 16, Jesus saith to her, now he's going to deal with it. Listen, he didn't start, he didn't, he didn't deal with it at first. How many of you know, let me, just, let me just pause right here. I've watched, maybe I shouldn't go here, but here we are. I've watched people stand on the street corner with the megaphone. And yell at people that they were going to hell. Anybody ever seen that? Now this is all I'm going to say. Anybody ever seen that locally? Cool. You and me both. You know, I, I've always wanted, I, you know, I don't know, maybe I'll get in trouble. I've always wanted to pull my car over and ask him a few questions. Number one, this is how I would lead off. Has this really ever worked? Like, I mean, I know, I know you're, you're, you're probably sincere to a level somehow. I know that. But has it, has, what's the conversion rate here? You have a percentage? Like, can you tell me how effective this has been? And if you are, bro, I'll try it. But to my knowledge, standing on the street corner and telling people that they're lost in sin and going to hell hasn't worked in 2022 very often. People don't seem to be as open to saying, you know that guy, that crazy looking guy in shorts with a megaphone and a sign? 
He was right. Now, again, I don't know him. I'm not, I, I, I certainly probably crossed the line there. Jesus didn't start that way. But he offers an invitation. And as soon as a wall comes down, she begin, he begins to look at her and say, okay, go tell your husband. Knowing, knowing, as you read the story, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus knew because he looked right at her and said, you're right, you've had five. And the one you're living with now, that's not your husband. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew exactly where she was, what she'd been through, all that she'd dealt with. Jesus knew. And Jesus knew that her sin had to be confronted. But listen, Jesus leads people to confession, not condemnation. Jesus was trying to lead her to confess, not confess for her. Jesus wanted her to open her mouth and speak and declare the things that were wrong so that he could help make them right. So listen, I, I tell you, I tell you as Jesus' model is what I see here in Scripture. Jesus is trying his best to lead her to confess. Not for him to tear her down or condemn her for her failures and upbringing. But he's trying to lead her to confess. And here is exactly why. Verse number 18, for thou hast said, thou hast five husbands, and, and he whom thou hast with now is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. You want to know what he's going for? You want to know why this verse matters? Because Jesus is trying to lead her to truth. For a woman that has been caught up in fables and stories and things she's been told. For a woman that has failed time and time again or been in marriage after marriage after marriage where probably her reality is a little bit distorted compared to you and I. Jesus is wanting to, her to finally admit truth. So Jesus is speaking to her to cut to the heart of the issue to try to get her to speak truth. So the woman in verse 19 says to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. See, at first, she called him a Jew. And then she called him sir. But now, now there's something deeper at play here. Now, this is like, this is like those Old Testament prophets I've heard about. This is like one of those men of God that I've heard about. This is like one of those people that, that are close to God. This is that one of people. And now she calls him a prophet. Why? Because walls in her life are starting to come down. Step by step, Jesus is disarming the things that's in her to show and reveal himself to her. So she's shocked, as any of us would be, if somebody walked up and read your mail. Brother Shelton has a prophetic ministry. And I hear it joked about sometimes people are like, I'm not coming next Sunday because I sit on the front row and that guy's going to read my mail. Now, if you've never been in a Pentecostal apostolic church before, 
and you've never seen the guy get in the microphone and walk around and start talking to people, you need to experience that one time in your life. You just need to. That's all I'll say. I really got to stick to notes. That's much better for me. It goes over much better. People like me more. And in shock and confusion, she changes the subject. I'm sure as anybody would if you got uncomfortable with somebody talking to you. Anybody, you know anybody that redirects the conversation pretty quickly? She changes the subject. She says, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem, the place where, is where the men ought, ought to worship. And Jesus looked at her in 21 and said to her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you know not, but we, were, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him, because God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Listen, he looks right at her and he, he looks right at the question she's asking and right at the sincerity of her heart. And she says, that very thing you've been waiting for, he's come. That very moment in time you're talking about, what you've been waiting for has finally showed up. You're not tied to a physical location that communicates whether you're less or separate or apart or not part. But he's looking for true worshipers, and this is no longer about the physical, but it's, it's about the worshiper. And woman, if you will just decide that you're going to worship the, the one true living God, if you'll just decide, he's finally come. And you know what the next verse says? And the woman left her water pot down. You know that very thing she was talking about earlier? That very item that she said, you don't even have a water, you don't even have a pot, you don't have a water pot. How can you, how can you draw anything out of this well? When she met Jesus, she said, I don't need a water pot either. When she found the Messiah, she said, I don't even need that anymore. The very thing I used to hold on to, the very thing I used to think was a crutch, the very thing I held tightly to, I don't even need that anymore. And she left it behind. And the very woman who came to the well privately left declaring the goodness of God publicly. So you hear me. There is a God this morning that can transform any life, any person, any story. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what you're in the middle of. There is a God that can step into your life and bring truth. There's a God that can step into your life and bring revelation. There is a God who can open your mind, your heart, perform the surgery you need, and set you free. Let me tell you something. Jesus is greater than the world we live in right now. I don't care how convoluted or complicated it seems. Jesus, his truth will endure to all generations. They're not gonna come up with something that's greater than his truth. There's not gonna be something happen that prevails over his word. His truth and he will prevail.
There's no life. There's no person. Whether I agree with them or not, there's no person too lost for Jesus. I really felt something when I said that. Because I don't know who you're dealing with that, had, that you've been praying for for years or somebody that lives on your street that you think they'll never come to God. You hear me. There is no person too lost that will not come to Jesus and leave that water pot behind and walk into freedom and walk into a better life and walk into a better place that will find a living well. They drank from a lot of other wells for a long time, but when they taste that living water, when they taste the living water, he can set them free. He's here today to do that. Listen, I didn't, I, I didn't know how I was going to close. I didn't know how I would come to a conclusion how this plane would land. But you hear me. This is, this is what I feel, and I'm going to scrap part of my notes. But you hear me what I feel. God can pour out His Spirit in Cabot. There are a lot of things, when I said that, I know, I, I sensed it, I felt it. When I said that, there were probably a few excuses that popped up in the minds of people. Well, yeah, you know, there's a lot of churches here. Well, you know, there's a lot of preachers and, you, I mean, you know, there's some problems, here, you know, whatever. I want you to hear me. God can pour out His Spirit in Cabot, Arkansas. God can send revival to your family. There is no person too bound or broken that the truth of God's word can't step in and diffuse and take it apart and free that person. There's no thing, no person too lost for him. Your neighborhood can see revival. Stand with me. I just need, I just need a handful of people to agree in the spirit with me. I didn't know how this would end, and I, I'm certainly not at, like cheerleading right now. I just feel it in the Holy Ghost. There is no part or sect of this area that God cannot pour out His Spirit in, that God cannot work in. Right now, Let's for a moment take our, all of our, we, we're programmed to look in the natural and we're programmed to look at the social, especially right now. But I wonder for a moment, we could take the lens of the social off our eyes for a second. And I want, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a soul in mind. They could work with you. They could live right beside you. They could be your, your, your blood relative. Once you get a soul in your mind right now. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to bring that soul before God in this room. They're not too lost. They're not too broken. They've not been on too many failed marriages. They've not been in too bad a financial strait. They've not been too bound by drugs or alcohol. They're not too lost. He's here to give living water to them. And I believe, I believe this building can't hold what God wants to do. 
This building can't hold all our neighbors and loved ones. He wants to pour out His Spirit in this city, on this people. He just needs a people to follow after His model. Can we lift our hands and our voices? Can you call that soul out to God? Come on, this is, this is the altar call. You can step out from where you are. You can come down to the front. This is the altar call. If you need prayer, we'll pray for you. But if you don't, why don't you pray for somebody else for a moment? He is not too far gone, God. He is not too far lost. He is not separated too far. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. You're not too far gone. Come on, would an intercession rise up in the room? Would prayers? Come on, that's it. Lift your voice and pray.